0: You know, before before David was born, I spent a lot of time wondering. I wondered, would it be a boy or a girl? Now, I was pretty convinced the whole time it was going to be a boy, but I still knew, it wasn't 100% sure, so I wondered. I wondered, what would the baby look like? I wondered, what would he act like? Or maybe I should say, who will he act like? I wondered, well, what will he be interested in? And and how long do you have to wait before he starts cutting the grass? You know, like I wondered about a lot of things. And, and I think for all of us who are parents, we've all experienced that from that, that very moment that you find out you are going to be a parent. man, Your mind is constantly racing and filled with with wonder and expectation. Maybe even a little fear. (laughs) But but, you know, you're just constantly filled with all of these thoughts. I don't believe it would have been much different for Mary and Joseph. Listen, (laughs) given the, the amazing circumstances surrounding their pregnancy... I'm sure that those two young people had a lot of questions. I'm sure there was a lot of things that they were wondering about. But truth be told, there was a lot they didn't have to wonder about because they already knew. Because some 700 years before, the prophet Isaiah had already said, going to be a boy this is going to be what his name shall be so so many of the things that we wonder about they didn't have to because they had the promise of god let's go back and look at that prophecy in isaiah 7 verse 14 there isaiah said therefore the lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel." Now, it might be expected that this little boy, he would grow up like most boys. He would grow up learning and knowing and maybe even following in the footsteps of his father. Now, we know Joseph, his earthly father. He was a carpenter. But it certainly wasn't the destiny of Jesus to be a carpenter. No, no, His destiny. His destiny was to to bring a new kingdom and, well, to reign on a throne for all eternity Listen to how Isaiah would prophesy that. Going over a couple other chapters to chapter 9. There he said, beginning in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. I wonder if they ever wondered what would the king be like? What would this this king who would be raised the son of a carpenter on this earth, what would he be like? Now, you see, there would be no real reason for them again, to wonder too much. Because Isaiah, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah had given to them four very distinctive names to describe the nature of this coming King. To describe the nature of the Messiah. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, and today we're going to pick up with Everlasting Father. Why would Isaiah? Why would Isaiah call Jesus, who is the Son of God, an everlasting Father? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Have you ever wondered why the the Son of God as we know Him is referred to here as an everlasting Father? Well, We know, we know that Jesus, that is the Son of God and and the Father God, we know they are one. Listen to the words of Jesus himself in John 10 and verse 30. He said, I and the Father are one. But I think this description even goes a little bit beyond just uh, the idea of the divinity of Christ. It, It shows us how Jesus can relate to us even as a father. So how does Jesus relate to us as this Everlasting Father? A couple of quick things I want you to remember, and I hope you'll really take this away and, and put it in your heart, especially if you need to hear it this morning. The first thing is this. I want you to know that the Everlasting Father is absolutely crazy about you. The Everlasting Father loves you so very much. There are some people, and maybe even some in this assembly or or even watching online, there are some who will spend the majority of their earthly life trying to do and trying to achieve because they have one, one hope, one goal in mind. All they really want is to hear their earthly father say, I love you and I am proud of you. But sadly, sometimes it doesn't matter how much we achieve. We never feel that love or that pride from our earthly fathers. And we know the sorrow that that can produce. We know the void that that can produce. When it comes to our everlasting Father, we are reminded He is absolutely crazy about us. That we are loved, oh, so loved by our Heavenly Father. Uh, Listen to what Zephaniah 3.17 says. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. I love this last description here. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Isn't that awesome? And we have a heavenly Father who is loudly singing about us. He is exalting us. He is lifting us up. Oh, man, doesn't that make a heart feel good? to know that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us. Are you here this morning and you want to know that somebody loves you? I want you to know that God the Father loves you. Are you here this morning and you want to feel as though somebody thinks you're special? I want you to know God the Father, He knows you're special. If you're here this morning and you just want to feel wanted by somebody, I want you to know this morning that God the Father wants you, he wants to know you and he wants to be known by you and god the father he knows so much about you jesus would tell us that he even knows he even knows the numbers of the hairs on our heads That's a pretty intimate personal relationship isn't it to even know the numbers of the hairs on our heads i want to encourage you maybe this afternoon take a little bit of time Read Psalm 139 verses 1-18 through on your own if you really want to get an idea of how much God loves you and that He has known you and known about you even while you were yet still in the womb. Even before anybody else knew anything about you. He knew you. And He was absolutely crazy about you. The second thing is this that an everlasting Father will always be here for you. In Revelation twenty two thirteen, 13, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And Isaiah, he uses this word here, everlasting, and he uses it to emphasize the security that is found in the relationship with our Heavenly Father through our earthly King. Jesus, in other words, He's not a deadbeat dad. Jesus is, is not a dad who's going to be afraid of the responsibilities that a father has in his, for his family. Jesus is not the kind of dad that one day is going to stand up and say, you know what, I'm tired of this family. I think I'm going to go find me a new one. No. No, with Jesus, we have an everlasting father One who will show up for us day after day after day. And one who will do for us the good work, the the godly work that a a godly father does. In other words, he'll, He'll provide for us. He'll protect us. He'll listen to us. He'll comfort us. He'll discipline us. He'll forgive us. And above all, He will absolutely never forsake us. He will never abandon you. He will never walk away from you. He will never pick somebody else over you. He will never leave you waiting and wondering where he is. Listen, this morning, if your earthly dad is or was less than ideal, I am truly sorry. But my hope my hope is that you will strive to see our heavenly father not through the eyes of not how you see your earthly father but that you will look to our everlasting father that you will look to Jesus to truly understand who our heavenly father is. So Jesus is our everlasting father but he's also our prince of peace. Let's take a couple of moments here. Let's take these words separately and then we'll bring them back together. Now maybe when you think of a prince, think of royalty, don't you? Maybe it's because of all the fairy tales we've read. Maybe it's because of all the Disney movies we've watched. But our mind typically goes to royalty. And there is no doubt that that sense of the use of the word is definitely very befitting of Jesus as Jesus was preparing to send out His apostles. He said to them, there in Matthew 10, verse 7, Proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay? Stands to reason, if you have a kingdom, you must have a king. And in this particular occurrence, the kingdom has a prince. And the prince's name is Jesus. And you see, just like here on earth, whenever you're in the presence of the prince, the prince carries the same authority as the king. And as is true with Jesus. When in the presence of Jesus, when in the presence of the Prince, it is as if you're in the presence of the King. When God the Father sent Jesus to this earth, Jesus was here. One reason, so that we could look to Him and see in Him who God is. See the the nature of our Heavenly Father See God in the flesh here on earth. As He came, He he brought in this this new kingdom that He established. Now, more often times than not, though in Scripture, the word prince isn't referring to royalty. More often than not, especially in the Old Testament, when you see the word prince, It's simply referring to a a leader among people, someone that other people uh, gather to, someone that other people are drawn to. Uh, For example, in Genesis chapter 23, Abraham is referred to as the prince of God. And if you go over to Genesis 49, there Joseph is described as a prince among his brothers. So, prince can mean royalty in the sense of the next in line to the throne, but prince can also mean someone that is a great leader among men. Someone uh, among whom other people are drawn to. And of course, both of those descriptions, both of those would be very fitting of Jesus. Now let's think about this word peace for just a moment. Peace is an interesting topic to me. Because in my human brain, peace means everybody's getting along. (laughs) You know, peace means nobody's rocking the boat. There's not any problems right now. There's no no fussing or fighting or carrying on. That's peace when everybody's just keeping quiet. That may be peace in my brain, but that is not biblical peace. Biblical peace is not the absence of conflict. But rather, what this word peace means, biblical peace, it's as if though there were a garment. A garment that was once whole and has come unraveled. And someone is trying to weave the garment back together again. So taking something that was once whole and it has now been torn into and is in the process of coming back together again, that's true biblical peace Jesus is the prince of peace and as Isaiah was prophesying about this prince of peace oh the children of God they were living in a very divided time their kingdom was divided in two the people were getting further and further away from God Because their heart's desire was not to live the way God had commanded them to live. Their heart's desire was to be more and more like the nations that surrounded them. And so they were adapting more and more of the ways of the world instead of continuing to live for God. And by doing so, they were getting further and further and further away from God. They needed someone. Someone who could come and restore that which was broken. They needed someone who, who could come and, and weave back together that which had been ripped apart. and The only one who could do that was the very Son of God. Our Prince of Peace. He who came into this world, even though this world is, is so messy and so upside down, and it seems so backwards to us at times, He came to bring reconciliation. He came to to restore that which had been torn apart. You know, Jesus, he showed up, as I said before, about 700 years after Isaiah had prophesied. There was about a 400-year gap there, there toward the end of that 700 years, about a 400-year gap where, to our knowledge, God never spoke to anyone. There was a 400 year of silence. I've wondered about what that must have been like before too. For those who were still trying to be faithful to God. Who were accustomed to prophets and priests. Who were accustomed to people speaking for God. People like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And then over the generations, suddenly everything went... Silent. But they still continued to look forward. The faithful, the faithful knew that God would be faithful. The faithful knew that the prophecies of God at some point would still be fulfilled. And so they continued to pass down these prophecies from generation to generation. And so people continued, even in those 400 years of silence, they continued to look forward to this prince, this prince of peace who will surely come and make everything right again. This Prince of Peace who will, who will surely come and, and establish some, some earthly kingdom that is going to be so powerful and so mighty that it will be able to just, just defeat and destroy all of our oppressors and we will finally be at the, the top of the food chain again. And then when this pre, Prince of Peace came, he didn't live up to their expectations, did he? When this Prince of Peace came, he hung out with a Samaritan woman. He ate with tax collectors. He let a prostitute wash his feet. He spent a lot of time with uneducated people. He spent a lot of time with people that, well, people of this world would have said, that's the wrong crowd. That's the wrong people for you you to be associating with. But, But there was a reason. The reason was with every person that he was associating with, with every person he was spending time with, he was actively weaving the kingdom of God into place like one person at a time. And and you see, he had the authority to do that because he's the prince. He could do that. He showed us by his example not how to lord over people Because you are a part of royalty. But how to serve people. Even by washing feet. And in that example, He showed to us what is truly important in this new kingdom. Having a servant's heart. A humble spirit. Being a person who's meek. Someone who's who's willing to help those in need. Someone who, who, just by their love for one another, shows that they are truly a follower, a disciple of Christ, the Prince of Peace. Ultimately, ultimately, this baby born in a manger, he ended up on the cross. but it wasn't like other princes and kings of His day. Jesus didn't end up on the cross because someone came along and overthrew Him and His kingdom. Jesus knew knew that on the cross, that was the only way that this weaving together, that this reconciliation for mankind This is the only way that it could happen. That it would only be through His death. His painful, agonizing death where He shed His blood. That that gruesome moment of them taking Him down and and preparing His body. And they placed Him in a tomb. And and three days later, by the power of God, he, He was raised from the dead. And why? So we could have peace. So that our relationship with God could be reconciled. So that it could be restored. Because you see, we all have a pretty big problem in our life. It's it's sin and death. And and those are two things that on our own we can't do anything about. But by the, the grace of God, through the sacrifice of His only begotten Son, that Prince of Peace, we we can pillow our heads at night. We can close our eyes. Have peace within our soul that if we never open them again this side of heaven, it's going to be okay. Because we know that what's waiting for us is an eternity. Oh, it is so much greater than anything on earth. But the Prince of Peace, He didn't just bring peace with God. He didn't just make that available for us. He also knew how hard this life could be. And He knew all of, the, all of the different trials that were going to come our way from day to day. And knowing that, in the face of the adversities of life, He promised that we, we can still have peace. Romans 5, one says, Therefore, having since been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He would go on, John 14, 27, there Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You see, the Prince of Peace has made it possible for us to have peace in our relationship with God. And the Prince of Peace has made it possible for us to have that peace that the Apostle Paul would write about and describe as that peace that passes all understanding. We can have that peace in this life, even as we face whatever the circumstances of today may be. It's a peace that the Prince of Peace has promised to us. And you want to know something amazing as we prepare to close today? in all of this jesus has also made it possible for you and i through his peace to be children of god to be heirs to this very kingdom itself in romans 8 it says there beginning of verse 16 the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit we are children of god and if children then heirs heirs of god fellow heirs with christ Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. This morning, this morning, do you have the peace of God? This, this morning, I guess my question as we prepare to close is it, the Prince of Peace came again so He could weave together. He, he could bring reconciliation between Us and God. We could have peace with God. Do you have that peace today? The only way that you can have it is by surrendering to the Prince of Peace. And today, if you've never surrendered your life to the Prince of Peace, surrendered your life to the Prince. Surrender your life to the King of Kings. Surrender your life to the Lord. Obey His precious Gospel message. Reenact. Reenact the very death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through that watery grave of baptism. The water's ready today if you are. Find that peace by fully surrendering to God. Or maybe as a child of God who's obey obeyed the Gospel, maybe there's just something going on in your life. You just don't have that peace of God. Maybe, maybe you have peace with God because you've surrendered your life, but life is hard right now. And so maybe you're just not experiencing that peace that passes all understanding. Is that something you would like for us to be praying for you and with you about today? Because it's through prayer, it's through prayer that we find that peace. As we look to a new year, as we look to 2022, (laughs) We were talking Wednesday night how futuristic that sounds. It doesn't even sound like a real number to some of us. But as we prepare, Lord willing, to face that new year, what are your spiritual resolutions for the new year? You probably have physical ones. You probably have things you're looking forward to in the new year, hoping to do, hoping to change. But what are your spiritual resolutions? For yourself. Are you looking to this new year as an opportunity to grow closer to God than ever before? Are you looking at this new year as an opportunity to live for God like never before? Are you looking to this new year as an opportunity to learn more and more about Jesus so that you can have this relationship so that you can truly appreciate this wonderful Counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you want to know more about Jesus? That should be goal number one above everything else. I want to know more. and Not just know about Him in the intellectual sense. I want to know Him and that I begin to live for Him based on what I know we can help you with this today or any needs you might have, won't you come as we stand at sea?